Everybody doing all right? 37 kids. That's right. Where did she go? There she is, Miss Laura, Haley, Alexis, and so many others. We're seeing fruit of blast kids. Thank you for your service. This is our last in the three series of messages about owning the vision. The vision that God has for us as a body of believers. We started three weeks ago talking about making disciples. That's our job. That's our purpose. That's what we do. We talked about the Great Commission, about going and making disciples of all nations and teaching them everything that Christ has commanded us. And we have that wonderful promise that he promises to be with us even to the end of the age. Then last week we talked about how do we make disciples and teach them. Well, we talked about living by faith and known by love. Living outside ourselves, that we live by faith, not by sight. And people know us for the love that we have for God and the love that we have for each other. Now we come to this. Are you one of God's dependents? Are you dependent upon God? Now, I know we're only four weeks into the new year. However, April's are right around the corner. And I mention April because April is very taxing on all of us. Hey, you got that. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's been described as a difficult month because even when your ship comes in, the Eternal Revenue Service is there to help you unload it. It's true, isn't it? That's one universal truth. People didn't like the tax collectors back in Jesus' day. And let's just face it, we don't much like them in our day either. Now, one of the things you have to report when you fill out your taxes is people living within your household that are dependent upon you to provide for them. Provide shelter, food, clothing, so on and so forth. And they're called, on your piece of paper, ready for this, on your tax return, dependents. And you write down how many dependents you have in your household. Now, as children of God, we are dependent upon the provision or provisions of God. Have you ever noticed that our spiritual life is similar to our spiritual life? What I mean by that, when we are first born, we are dependent upon our parents to take care of us. And after all, we can't walk. We can't feed ourselves. Uh, we need someone to change our diapers, someone to burp us. A whole, I mean, we're totally dependent. That baby is dependent upon someone to take care of them. Then you grow into childhood, and you learn, you got going to school, and you learn how to read, and you start learning how to comprehend what you're reading. You learn math skills. You learn how to dress yourself. I'm not going to make a remark on that. You learn how to dress yourself, uh, tie your shoes. And you start learning more and more skills. You get in school and you get around kids your own age. You start building social skills. But then something happens around the age of 12 to 13. You know what I'm talking about? Teenagers. And when you hit being a teenager, guess what? Suddenly and all of a sudden, <laughs> you know it all. I mean, man, I know it all. And you don't feel like you're dependent upon anybody. But as you grow and mature, you begin to realize that 
Mom and dad are not as stupid as you thought, but more importantly, you learn that you're more dependent upon God than ever before. Because we're dependent upon God for doing things that we cannot do ourselves. Now the sad or tragic thing that you do not, that one of, that you are one of God's dependents, but the sad and tragic thing about this progression of growth is that most people stay stuck in the teenage years. They don't move past that in their spiritual growth, and no one can tell them anything. They know everything. Dearly beloved, as a Christian, you always need to be growing and maturing in your faith. Get deeper into the Word of God. That doesn't mean that we depend upon God for everything, because God gives us skills. He allows you to learn how to read. He wants you to read His Word. He doesn't want you to totally depend upon him for everything. He wants you to do things for yourself. Reach out to him. Because let's face it, no parent in here wants your child dependent upon you all the days of your life. You want your child to grow up and be self-sufficient and take care of themselves. I mean, as a father, that's my job, to make sure that my daughters can take care of themselves if I'm no longer around. They can be... A good citizen, but more importantly, that they learned about the things of God, therefore they could be a woman of God and dependent upon him. Now, just as a church at Philippi, as we wrote as Dara read about, aided Paul's mission work, we also must fund the ministry of the gospel through our financial generosity. Here's what it ties them back being dependent. When we truly realize and acknowledge that we're dependent upon God for everything, that nothing that I have is due because of what I can do, because who gave me the ability in the first place? God did. When I truly recognize that and confess that, then how can I hold anything back from him, the very one who gave me everything? So we're going to walk through this passage, make application as we go. But I want you to think about something. You are not here by accident, by an appointment. You have skills, abilities, and talents. God in his plan puts people together that complement each other in their abilities and their skills to do one thing, to build his kingdom. So as you walk through this, think about what God has gifted you with and where God is going to place you in this body of believers. What is it that he wants you to do? Look back in verse 10. He tells them, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. You have revived your concern for me or renewed it. Apparently there was some time that elapsed between their first gifts and this, church, and this gift they're reading about. The first gifts are mentioned back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And of course this one. So apparently there was a gap between these two gifts that they gave Paul. However, Paul remained in their thoughts. Look back at verse 10. You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. They were mindful of him, but they didn't have a chance to give yet. It's not that Paul did not have a need, rather the church's inability to provide for them the way they wanted. And look how their relationship is characterized. Look back at verse 10, the word concern. They are concerned about him. 
And that Greek word that's translated concern means to think or to hold an opinion. Now let's further describe that because it's used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It's translated attitude. Have this attitude, have this concern in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that Philippians text goes on to talk about how he humbled himself. He took on flesh. And how he humbled himself, he was a servant. How he humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. Have that concern. Have that attitude. And that's what he's telling them. You have that concern for me. You have that attitude about the work of the gospel. Rather than rebuke, he's telling them that they wanted to respond all along. He knew that. But Paul had learned to be at home with whatever God supplied to him. He goes on to state in verses 11, 12, and 13 why he did very well even without their gift. There was contentment. You see that in verse 11. Adaptability in verse 12. And dependency on verse 13. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I learn to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I have learned. It means to arrive at a fact of understanding. I've learned the secret of. That carries the idea of the misreligious back then, learning this secret knowledge. What is, what is Paul telling us? He has learned this through experience. How? To be content. And that word to be content can also be understood as self-sufficient. Now we have to be careful. We're not talking about here in America we say pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What he's talking about, he can be self-sufficient. Why? Because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. He has learned how to rely on Christ for everything that he needs. He's learned to be content. So no matter what circumstances comes his way, he has that relationship with Christ, everything's going to be okay. Therefore, no matter what I find myself in, I can manage through it just fine. He unpacks it even more in verse 12. Look, I know how to get along with humble means, how to live in prosperity. This arena of spiritual growth happened in circumstances. Through them, he developed adaptability. Look back in verse 12. There's three contrasts being made. The first one, I just read, I know how to get along with humble means and how to live in prosperity. And the last he talks about in that verse, about having abundance and suffering need. That speaks to general needs. But right in the middle of that, you see the phrase, being filled and going hungry. And that refers to food. What he's talking about here as having a spiritual equilibrium. In other words, he's not affected either by having too much or too little. And here's the problem in our society. We think as a people, if I just have enough money, if I just get the right job, then everything will be okay. But Paul is telling us that he knows how to live with just enough or prosperity because being humble is one thing, but you also have to learn when you get abundant how to live with that. A lot of people don't know how to handle that. Why do you think so pe people in Hollywood are upset? And they're unhappy because they're thinking that the riches by themselves will bring them happiness. 
It was pointed out to me earlier this week that Jesus never promises happiness. He promises us peace. Because that's what we need in this world is peace. Think about that. You know what the real problem is? For me and probably for you. We always focus on what we don't have instead of looking back at the abundance of what we do have. I can be so focused on what I don't have that I forget to thank God for all the wonderful blessings that he's given me. Now, if you think on that, go back to Genesis. He creates Adam and Eve and places them in this garden. He says, all this is yours. You can eat of anything but this one tree. What does Satan do? Makes Adam and Eve focus on the one thing they don't have and they lose focus of all the abundance that God has provided. Dearly beloved, we need to focus on what we do have. Abundantly. Because our society and world always has the tendency to lure us to think what we don't have. Think of the commercials you watch. The commercials are going to try to condition you to think, hey, if I only had a new car, if I only had a new boat, a new house, and unfortunately, we live in a society where things are thrown away, even our relationships. Maybe I had a new wife, a new husband. Before we even go down that road, dear beloved, step back and look at the abundance that we have. Here in this church, we sit here and write a list of things we like to see. But think about what we do have. God has continues meets our financial needs time and time again. This whole facility is paid off in full. We're seeing more visitors come. Our children's program is bringing children in. There's so many positive things happening here. doesn't mean we need to brush our concerns underneath the carpet, but let's not also forget where God is working and we still see fruit because he is. And he comes down to this one thing. Things ultimately do not matter. Relationships matter. Because in the end, when I'm gone from this earth and my girls are still here, they're not going to remember all the toys I brought them, things I helped them with financially. They're going to remember one thing, that daddy loved me. That daddy loved God. Was daddy the same on Sunday morning or Monday morning? That's what they're going to remember. Don't fall for that trap of always providing things. The greatest gift you have is yourself to your kids. Make the most of it. In verse 13, he goes on to say, And I can do all things through or literally in him who strengthens me. So here's the dependency part. Paul is depending on Christ to provide the strength he needs to do what he needs to do. Now, some people take this verse as a blanket promise that God will give me everything I need to do whatever I want. No, there is a catch here. What I mean by a catch is a, let me say, a qualifier. Because Paul knew it's what God wanted to be. Is this the will of God for my life? If God's calling you that and it's his will, he's going to give you what you need. You're looking at a guy, and you can probably tell by some of my speaking skills, that I barely graduated high school. 
by the skin of my teeth. Years later, I found myself in an institution of higher learning, Southwest ba Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was scared to death. There are young men and women standing up in class. I went to Texas A&M, which you always get whoop, whoop, whoop. I, I got an undergrad from this, and I stood up and said, my name's Tim Neely, and I throw bags for American Airlines. Kind of humbling. I'm not doing this to brag on myself. I'm trying to encourage you because God called me to ministry. God provided the education and training that I need, not just from a seminary, but reading his word. Godly men around me who served as my mentors. God provided all that. And if God's calling you, he's going to provide for you. And I say this to a blue in the face. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And you might say, well, this scares me. Hey, I know how you feel. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but you're calling me to this. I trust you. I trust you all in the past. How many times you come through for me? I have no reason not to trust you now. So, God, I'm stepping forward in faith confidently knowing that you're going to take care of what I need. Not what I want, what I need. And collectively as a church, he's calling us to step forward in faith, trusting in him. Look how far he has brought us. He's not going to leave us high and dry now. He's going to be beside us every step of the way. Our victory comes from a conscious dependence upon the Lord and his power. See, one mark of spiritual maturity is not only trusting God in the bad times, but trusting God in the good times. When we're going through good times, we don't give God usually a second thought, do we? Woo-hoo, things are good. When something goes bad, what do we do? God, where have you been? We need to depend upon him for every circumstance, every situation, every decision that we make. Depend upon him. Says in verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me my affliction. This indicates the significance of the contribution that the Philippian church made to Paul. That word translated to share can be translated fellowship. You know what it means? Listen to this. And we throw that term fellowship around a lot, but listen to this definition of this word a deep, partnership of two going in the same direction. Now, bear with me, but I think to some degree you could describe marriage like that. Two people devoted to each other, different gifts, different skill sets, but they're dedicated and going in the same direction. That's the church, isn't it? All these different people from all walks of life, different experiences, different skills, but we're dedicated and going in the same direction. A deep partnership. And look how it's really described as with affliction. The Philippians understood Paul's strategic place in the spread of the gospel. The ministry that was revealed to him in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. He was going to be a minister to the Gentiles. So the gifts, the contributions for the Philippian church meant that that church eagerly participated 
in the work of God and that their gifts were, in reality, contribution to the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, people just like them. When you give to Forestburg Baptist Church, you are participating in the work of God to reach fellow community members in the town of Forestburg. People who live in Montague County in the state of Texas, the state of Texas, in our state and around the world. Think about that. We can participate in the greatest work ever given to man, and that is the spread of the gospel. To make a change in someone's life that will last for all eternity. They understood that God is working in the world and they willingly supported God's work. Look at verse 15. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Paul commends them for the contribution, and their contribution was unique. They were the only Macedonian church to support him. Other people had received the gospel, but they never gave back to it. How many believers do we have with us this morning? I want you to signify by giving me a real convicted hearty amen. How many believers? You received the gospel. Someone told you in your life about the gospel of Christ, and you have the opportunity to respond to that. Since you have received it, you have a responsibility now to go out and tell others. And that's what troubles Paul's in this passage. All these others have received the gospel. But they don't see any responsibility in sharing that back. They didn't realize that they had a responsibility to share and they're missing out on the spiritual blessings that come by sharing in the work. Now I mentioned three individuals by name about blast. But every last one of you have ever prayed, ever given, ever come and give of your time, you have participated in that work. God has shown you in a real and tangible way, look what I am doing and you're a part of it. Don't ever forget that. The enemy will take it and twist it. But God is showing us as individuals, as a church, I am working, I am still here. And by your praying and giving, and all mean volunteers that we have, this is a group effort, it's a church effort. God is blessing that. Look, he says in verse 17, I seek the prophet, literally fruit, which increases to your account or abounds your account. The gifts are an investment in the work of God and in their future. Some assume God, I mean, some mistakenly assume that Paul just sought gifts. But he clearly states in verse 17 that he seeks the blessing it would bring to the givers. His servant attitude, even in this, arises. He's thinking of others. Don't miss out on the blessing that comes your way when you give. Look what he says in verse 18. What you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's reminiscent of that. God was well-pleased. Their gift was acceptable. 
Remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There's more to worship, brethren, than just singing in there. A lot more. He goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The point being, physical activity can become spiritual and motivation and importance. That Romans passage is talking about dedicating our body can become a spiritual act as we use in our bodies in service to him. What does he mean by sacrifice? I'm not talking about you laying your life down and taking your own life. It means by surrendering your will to his. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I still believe with all my heart, God still calls future pastors, teachers, missionaries from the local body. And maybe he's calling you to do that right now in this moment. You're thinking, Tim, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, if he's calling you, he's going to equip you. He just wants us to be dependent upon him and serve him. Verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Because they have given, God's going to take care of their provisions and their needs. God meets the needs of those who give to him. Notice it says, according to, not out of. To his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, Forestburg Baptist, if we seek this vision, making disciples, living out our faith, being known by love, living outside ourselves, and giving of our times, talents, abilities to him as ever he sees fit, God will take care of the rest. It's not about what programs you have. It's not about necessarily how big your facility is or isn't. It's all about seeking the will of God. We are dependent upon God for all the resources. And as I stated earlier, as we started, think of yourself. Keep that thought process going about your gifts, your talents, your skills, and financial resources. I am blessed to serve as a pastor. But who gave me the brain? Oh, oh, but back up. Who gave me that new nature to begin with to seek the things of God? Who gave me my salvation to begin with? That was God. Who... Who provides the rain and the crops grow? Who's behind everything that I've received that's always God? Now, we have a vision. It's been talked about a lot since I've been here, about building a family life center in the near future. We've had money given for that reason. You know what I see with that? I can see a family life center that one day provides child care. That one day has a summer program for our kids where they're being tutored by teachers and then a VBS format every afternoon. 
I could see a place where people could receive job skills, food bank, clothing. I mean, the sky's the limit. All in the context of making disciples. I could see it possibly spin off with its own board of directors one day. But how do we get there? Follow the vision that God has given us. Where are we now? We're seeing growth. We need teachers. We need volunteers. We need people to give of their time, their talents, and their skills, and their financial resources. As we continue to move forward, first and foremost, we must pray. Continue to seek the face of God. Use everything that God has given us as individuals and collectively as a body to follow that vision out. That's what I see. And right now, where I'm sitting, humanly speaking, seems impossible. Because you know what? From a human standpoint, it is. It is. But I want you to take a hard look at where we're at now, where you are. There are things that we can do to this facility in the meantime. There's repairs that need to be done, different things that we can do. Because the Bible teaches if you're faithful for a little, he'll trust us with much. God has seen if we're going to take care of what he's given us, as we continue to move forward in that direction, are we going to retreat and surrender and downsize and give away? Are we going to trust him? Are you one of God's dependents? Do you know him as your Savior and Lord? Have you professed Jesus Christ? Statement of faith saying, I now trust Christ and his complete work on the cross for my sin debt. I confess that I've broken his laws and I repent of that. Come to me, Lord Jesus. Change my heart. Give me a new nature. Be not only my Savior, but my Lord. See, if you're, especially if you're a believer, you are God's dependence, but to some degree, everybody on earth is God's dependence because, as Roger pointed out, it rains on the just and the unjust. I mean, right now, who is holding the earth in orbit? Just an inch, half an inch closer, we burn up, half an inch back, we freeze. Who now controls what we call the laws of nature? That's God. Who now allows you to breathe oxygen into your lungs? You have life. That's God. Now who called you here to listen to his word to give you life? It was God. It's always God. We depend upon him for our salvation we depend upon him for everything, and we need to depend on him for doing the impossible. Because at the end of the day, I predict that the good Lord doesn't come back between now and then. We'll look back on this moment and say, aha, that's where collectively we say we're going to trust God. This is what we're going to do. And we'll look back and go, wow, look what God did. 
And I bet you, if you took a look at your life right now, where you're at in life, 10 years ago, you never thought you'd be here doing what you're doing now. 25 years ago, I never thought I'd become a preacher and a pastor. Ha, ha, I laughed at you. My poor wife will probably say, I don't think so. By the way, ladies, be ready if you pray for God, for your husband to get involved in church. That's what my wife did. Now look at me. Just saying. You need to trust on him. I like to sum up by just reading the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Look what he tells us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know people might talk about money in church, but you know the reality of it is, I could say this all day long, but where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? What do I invest in? Am I investing in the eternal things? Or am I investing here on earthly things that eventually fade away? We have to realize that this facility, this building, will be gone one day. Everything will be gone. Only one thing is going to matter. Did you have a relationship with Christ? And what did you do with it? That's what's going to matter. Your relationships. The only thing that lasts for all eternity. I do believe that the days will be difficult and hard ahead. But I believe with every fiber of my being, please hear me. If we trust God, seek to make disciples by living out our faith, being known by our love, living outside ourselves, giving of our time and our talent and our skills and our financial resources the way God instructs us to, I believe God will bless that and we'll see things happen that we can't even imagine right now. And I end with this one question. How can we put a price tag on someone's eternal soul? You can't. It's more precious than we can even think of. Look at that cross. Jesus thought enough about us to die. A death that he did not deserve, but one we did. Now we're at the invitation. I invite you to respond as the Lord directs you to. Please do not leave this place until you do business with him. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gift of salvation. Father, we desire to accomplish your will. We desire to make disciples. We desire that people know us of living out our faith. We are indeed a people of faith that trust you and we live that out and people see it whether we love each other and the way we love you and the love that we have for them. Father, help us to 
respond by giving everything you've given us back to you. Because, Father, you gave it to us in the first place. Father, we know that you have great, mighty plans for Forestburg Baptist Church. Father, you, you have good plans for us. We understand we need to be faithful and follow you. To be like the Apostle Paul, to be content whatever circumstance we're in because you hold us safely and securely in your hand. And that no power of man or no scheme of hell can snatch us out of your powerful right hand. May your spirit continue to move among us, continue to speak to our hearts. Your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?